Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. Welcome to the Joshua Nations Inheritance Podcast. back with everyone. It's been a few months. I'm just grateful for the opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus, and I trust bring a tremendous encouragement uh, and build up the faith of each and every one of you. I want to share to you to, with you today about how to become the present-day mighty men and women of God. David had 30 mighty men. The Hebrew word for that is shalashim. They were the 30. But if you look at where they started, they started at this place called the cave of Abdullam. David had been anointed as king as a young man. He had slain the giant Goliath with his slingshot and his stone. He had served King Saul and had spears thrown at him. And he had been running in ditches and caves with a few different men, and David was exhausted and tired. He crawled into this cave, and he basically said to the Lord, I'm tired, I give up, I'm ready to quit. His family had even sort of rejected him and made fun of him as the smallest and the youngest. But all of a sudden, in the midst of his discouragement and giving up in the strength of his flesh, his family comes to him, 400 men and their families come to him. And this is what it says, everyone who was distressed, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was depressed or discouraged gathered to David and said, we want you to be our leader. I want you to imagine you're already tired and exhausted. You're already willing to quit and give up. And your family that seems to have rejected you comes and they begin to strengthen you. And then these people say, be our pastor, be our leader. Come rule over us and lead us. But they are all these struggling people. So David says, yes, he steps back into the calling of God. And what ends up happening is that some 20 or 30 years later, you see that group of distressed, indebted, discouraged, and depressed people, and they're now known as the mighty men of David. I believe that the word I have for you today is an apostolic word and a prophetic word. I believe it is something that God is doing right now around the earth, and there is a harvest the greatest harvest that's ever going to be known on the earth that is just starting to come in. And God has prepared us. He's allowed us to be weakened in our flesh. He's allowed us to come to an end of our own personal strength. And we are now going to learn how to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And we're going to see the mighty things of God. So this message is really to encourage and prepare you to step in to the present day group 
that will be the mighty men and women of God in these last days. I want to share with you a dream that God gave me about a month ago. It was actually probably five weeks ago. It was right before we went to Rwanda. In this dream, there were two trains running on railroad tracks side by side, and they were pulling into stations, and people that were leaders on the train were getting off in these stations, and they were preaching. It was an interesting dream. One of the trains had the name righteousness on the side of the engine, and people were preaching the gospel, and some wanted to receive Christ and were getting on this train of righteousness. At the other station, the leaders of that train were getting off, and they were preaching, but they were preaching all sorts of uh, things of the occult and all sorts of fleshly things and, and immorality and, and all sorts of wickedness. And the name on the engine of that train was wickedness. And I remember in the dream, the Lord saying to me, between now and the end of the age, these two trains will run side by side. There are many, the fields are white unto harvest, there are many who are ready to be saved, and there are many who are going to resist and walk in rebellion, and they choose wickedness, and they will perish. But he reminded me of the end of the book of Revelation, where one day they look up, and there is a host of people coming in out of the tribulation, and the number is so great that it can hardly be counted. And he said to me, after I woke up from that dream, he said, the time has begun for the great harvest of the end to begin. I believe that's the day that we're living in. Psalm 24.1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the people who are in it. So let's talk about the truth regarding God and the nations. God didn't make the earth for the devil. He did not make the earth for wickedness. He made the earth for his glory, and he wanted a people and a family, and he still does. There are many in the earth that are yet to come in, and our job is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Our job is to walk in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power, literally doing the ministry of Jesus. I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. What's happened in our culture, and it has happened to me, I'm just telling you very honestly, I have looked at the circumstances of our world. I've watched it spiral down in wickedness and corruption and sin, and I've heard this little whisper of the enemy that says, just, you know, hunker down in the bunker, just hide and, and just wait until Jesus returns. It's really bad out there. And the gospel and the kingdom of God are not going to prevail. And you just hang on until the end. And I know that's a lie, but I began to subtly over time believe that it was so rough out there that there was not a whole lot of hope to see a great harvest, 
to see some things really turn around and change. As I woke up from this dream, the Lord began to speak to me. He did not condemn me, but he took me to Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. And this is what it says. It says the law came in so that offense or sin would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded much more. And the Lord began to say to me, yes, sin is abounding. But my grace, my ability to forgive and redeem and establish my kingdom, even in the midst of all of this wickedness around the world, my grace, my truth, my power, my authority is greater than all of that sin. And then he reminded me of something that I had read literally 45 years ago. I'm 64. When I was in Bible school initially, I began to read books by C.S. Lewis. Some of you may have heard of C.S. Lewis. He wrote books like The Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, The Screwtape Letters, but he wrote a book that's not as popular as many of those books. It's entitled The Great Divorce. And it's about this divorce between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, about righteousness and the way of the world. But as I woke up from that dream and I was praying and pondering, he reminded me of a statement in that book. And it says this, it says, the love and grace of God is so great that the jaws of hell cannot open its mouth wide enough to swallow one drop of God's goodness. What C.S. Lewis was doing was putting in perspective how great God is, how powerful his love and the gospel is, how powerful the kingdom is compared to the kingdom of darkness. What Satan and our, our media and many things in our culture have done is they have raised up Satan and his kingdom is so powerful. And they've said God and the church and all of that is so weak and it's so insignificant. That's not true. We know that's not true. But if we are not careful, the enemy just keeps bringing that to us. And we lose that boldness and that courage and authority that we once walked in. I want to take you to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Please turn there with me. Colossians chapter 1. Let me tell you just quickly about the church that I'm pastoring. I've pastored some large churches. I've pastored some churches that in our standards would be pretty well known, pretty powerful. But as my wife and I planted this church a little over seven years ago, we have fought tremendous battles. It seemed like most of the people that came our way were some of the most broken people. There was a couple that God brought us, and they had both been saved out of prison. They were single. She was a lesbian. Her dad had been unfaithful to her mom and had molested her and been into all kinds of pornography, and she hated men. 
She had become a lesbian, um, was in prison, and someone reached her with the gospel. And she was radically born again. When she came to us about four and a half years ago, she knew the Lord, but she had a lot of baggage, a lot of demonic attachment from her past. She was hungry. My wife and I began to work with her. At the same time, there was a man that came to us out of prison, and he had been um, a drag queen. He had been involved in men dressing like women and all the perversion of that, but he had been cooking and selling meth, was caught and put into prison. He was radically born again in prison. When he came a few months after this other lady, he again was very hungry, but had lots of baggage and demonic attachment. They began to grow. My wife and I were able to take each of them through some deliverance. And I, I don't want to glorify the enemy, but they would begin to manifest demons. And these demons would scream, throw them in the floor. They would writhe. And I'm telling you the authority of Jesus cast those demons out, set them free. They became baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. And about a year and a half ago, my wife and I married them to each other, and they have a good, solid marriage today. Radical transformation because of the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. We had a man who came to us, 81 years old, I have to be careful with this one. He is a multi-billionaire. He has had many attempts on his life and kidnapping of his daughter, but he heard that God was doing miracles in our midst. And so he came, 81 years old, his kidneys had stopped working. He was peeing or urinating blood and he was in a lot of pain. I'd never met him until that day. He came, we had a healing room. My associate and a couple, older couple who really have an anointing to pray for the sick, began to pray for him and God radically healed him. That was four months ago. Within three days, his kidneys began to work perfectly again. They were going to put him on dialysis. He stopped peeing blood and he is healthy today. People share the testimony of Jesus. I, I could give you many more. Um, we have a, a man that came. He has relationship with two past presidents of the United States. He has spoken before Congress. He knows the founder of Walmart, the Waltons, by first name basis. He is humble. If you met him, he would have blue jeans on and you know, just a polo shirt or something. He raises money in the neighborhood of 100 to $200 million to help people with large business ventures. He came to us because his marriage had blown apart. Um, he was so full of pride and so belittling toward his wife and his children that they rejected him and wanted nothing to do with him. 
So he came to us because he had heard the gospel as a boy and a teenager. He came, we helped him find Jesus, and this week, as he and a friend reached back out to his ex-wife who had divorced him for the first time, she is willing to sit down and talk and possibly begin to restore and heal this marriage. I'm sharing these stories with you because I asked the Lord, I said, why do we seem to inherit all the difficult people all the people that have gone other places and couldn't seem to be helped, and you bring them here, and I kid you not, they're challenging. Working with them is exciting, but it makes you tired. And we're watching the Lord do mighty deliverances, healings, and miracles in people's lives to restore them. The Lord spoke to me as I was preparing this message, and I have 20 of these stories to tell. I really do. And he said, you were willing to receive the people no one wanted, and because you've been faithful to me and to them, I wanted to demonstrate to you that nothing is impossible with me if you will believe and if people will surrender and obey me. And then he said this to me, because you have loved the people no one else wanted, I'm going to send you the people everyone wants. It was the word of the Lord to us. I don't know what to do with that. This is a church of 150 to 175 people. It is beginning to grow. And people are coming because they are hearing the testimony, Jesus is alive. Jesus is working in that place. And this is what's exciting. He's not doing this all through me. I have been equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And he is working through a number of people in our body. I believe the day of the big name coming to town is just about over. God is raising up a faceless generation, a group of people that are not famous in the world, but know the Lord and are willing to step out in faith and love people and minister Jesus to people. And in our body, He's using many of our people that just come every week faithful, and he's working powerfully through them. And I'm here to tell you today, in your bodies, in your ministries, as you are raising up people to know who they are in Christ and know who Christ is in and through them, he is going to do the same where you live around the world. Let me show it to you in the book of Colossians. Let me show you what the word says. This is who Jesus is. This is who you are. And this is what he is ready to do in and through your people. Colossians chapter one, look at verse 13. For he, the father, 
rescued or delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That verse is full of authority and power. The father has rescued and delivered us from the domain, from being under the oppression and the authority of Satan and darkness. I have felt like I've been under that oppression, but the Lord began to teach me three years ago to start saying what he said, to start saying it by faith, to start proclaiming and releasing it as I began to believe the Lord and it came out of my mouth. And we are sowing things into the spiritual realm that are coming to fruition or reality in this natural realm. Even though my emotions were tired, even though I felt the oppression, I would get up in the morning day after day and I would say, I am not under the dominion and the authority of the devil. I am not under his oppression. The heavens are open over my life and marriage and family. The heavens are open over this church and this city and this region. Satan is defeated. Jesus is exalted and his kingdom is coming and his will is being done on earth right here as it is in heaven. And I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, day after day, after I did that for a while, we began to see some things begin to break loose. I began to teach my leaders how to do the same because that's the truth. We have authority in the spiritual realm and we have to bind the enemy and pull him down. We have to exalt and proclaim the truth. And if you'll begin to do that over time, you will begin to see the heavens open over you and your family and your ministry and your region. He has transferred us. It means that he has conveyed or we now live in the kingdom of his beloved son. And Jesus rules over the devil. You and I in Christ rule over the devil. He tries to wear us down, make us passive tries to get us to look at circumstances, tries to get us to look at the natural and say, that's reality. That is not reality. I see those things. They are real, but there's something greater than those things. He goes on, look at verse 14, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We have been redeemed. We've been bought back because we have value. You are valuable in the Lord. You are right where you are because God's placed you there. There were times in the ministry here where we are, where it would become so bad. We have had horrendous things happen in the lives of a number of our people. They had uh, issues that were demonic. They had such brokenness. They would act out and do things that were horrible. And I would say to the Lord, Lord, this is too difficult. Send me somewhere else. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done that. And he would say to me lovingly but firmly, 
No, you're right where I want you. You just stay right there. You just keep going. And so my wife and I have laughed about this because we could count 30 or 40 situations that were just horrendous since this church began seven years ago. Some of those people are now delivered, healed, full of the Holy Spirit, leading our small groups, leading our worship. And what God did is he took broken lives and proved to us that he truly can do anything and that he really wants to do mighty things. I sort of rode on, you know, other people's back before they had done ministry and I would come take it over or other churches would like what we were doing and some of their people would come and we have not had very much of that in this ministry. We have had lost people, broken people, backslidden, disconnected people. Occasionally, God would send us a mature person or somebody healthy because we need help. But he wanted to prove that the kingdom works even in difficult, terrible circumstances. His gospel prevails. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The word firstborn means prototype. You'll see in two or three verses later now that he is the firstborn from the dead. What God did is he gave the eternal son a physical body, Hebrews 10.5. A son was given and a body I prepared for him. Jesus is God in a human body. He came to demonstrate for you and I how to live in the earth in a human body. When you and I are born again, we're forgiven. Old things pass away. We're a new creation. Our new identity is the very nature of Christ that lives in us, and the fullness of God lives in us. Look at it. Look what happens. Because as the prototype, he is the first, and he wants to reproduce after his own kind. The idea of a prototype, a firstborn, would be like someone in a factory, and they create the first automobile of its kind. And then they reproduce it on an assembly line in a factory, and they reproduce that car literally thousands and thousands of times, and every time it looks the same, you know that that is a Jaguar car, or you know that that's a BMW, because it's the same, the same. What Jesus is after, please listen to me, what Jesus is after is he wants to reproduce himself tens and millions of times, tens of millions of times in the same place at the same time. When he was here on the earth, he was in one place at one time. He wanted to reproduce himself 12 times in his disciples, 72 times in those that he sent out. But what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus is he wants us to have his heart, have the renewed mind of Christ. He wants us to see like Jesus, 
speak like Jesus and begin to walk in the anointing of Jesus. Jesus was in one place at one time. Now he literally wants to be in tens of millions of places at the same time through you and through me. I was overwhelmed as he began to really show me this revelation. I thought, Lord, I, I don't measure up. He said, not in your flesh. But he said, this is who you are in the spirit. And the more you walk with me and become like me, the more you will see who I am reproduced through your life. Now go teach other men and women and tell them, I want to reproduce who I am through their very lives. You see, because of where you live, Jesus has come to your town. Because of where you pastor, Jesus has come to your church. And he's in you and through you. Look what happens. Look at verse 16 of Colossians 1. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is Lord. At creation until now, he is over all rule and authority. This world holds together because Jesus says so. If Jesus ever said, I'm done ruling over the earth, it would just fly apart. It all consists, it all holds together in him. He goes on and says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. He is the first one from the dead, reproducing after his kind. You and I have resurrection life. You and I have the seed of Christ in us, and he wants to grow up and take over every area of our life. I no longer see myself as a man of the flesh and a man of the spirit. I declare, and I did it this morning, I am dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. I deny myself, take up the cross and follow him. I am a man of the spirit with a body wrapped around it. Now, do I occasionally sin? Yes, I do. I grieve. I'm sorry. But I don't beat myself. I reckon that. I admit to God, I just struggled with unforgiveness. I just lusted and had an impure thought. I mean, let's get real. And I admit to the Lord, I don't want that. I declare that that's dead. Help me, Holy Spirit, walk and overcome this. You see, we are men and women of the Spirit. That's who we are with a body wrapped around. We're no longer people of the flesh. That is dead. Reckon it dead. Romans chapter 6. He goes on and says this, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. God's goal is reconciliation. Salvation is not just about my sins are forgiven and I'm going to heaven. Those are true, and that's wonderful. The strongest work of salvation is that Jesus Christ reconciled you 
to a holy friendship and a personal relationship with the Father. The Father loves to see you come. And because of Christ, you're forgiven. He doesn't see our failures and our sin. He sees the new creation. Because Jesus began a good work in you. When you come to the Father in the throne of grace, he says, Joshua, Scott, Donato, he loves to see you come. Because he recognizes you after the Spirit. He sees Jesus. He's working in us to make us like Jesus. Skip down to verse 26. I've got to keep moving before time is gone. As you and I discover who we really are in Christ, and you and I walk in that close relationship with the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, he is revealing the mystery. Look at verse 26. The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. The word mystery, mysterion in the Greek, is the idea of having this beautiful um, sculptured piece of art, and it has a, a tarp, a blanket thrown over it. It's hidden. And they announce that they're going to have this big unveiling. And all these people gather around, and they take the covering, the tarp, the blanket off. And here is this beautiful piece of sculptured art. The mystery was this. They could not even imagine in past ages that a day would come when they didn't have to make a yearly sacrifice. There would be one sacrifice, once for all, Jesus Christ. They could not imagine that God would actually come to live in them. This God that they couldn't even say his name. This God that they felt like they had to constantly appease and they felt guilty and ashamed because of their struggles. They couldn't imagine that a day was coming when that very God would pay for their sin and penalty forever and reconcile them to this close friendship, everyone who would come. They could not imagine that this very God that created everything that was eternal beyond explanation would actually come live in them. That's the mystery. Look at verse 27. To whom God willed to make known what is the wealth of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, you and me, that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let me give you quickly three words to describe Christ in you, the hope of glory. First of all, Christ is the essence, the essence. And what that means is he is our very makeup and identity of who we are. Christ means the anointed one. You have the anointed one in you. And now we are praying, anointed one, release your ministry out of me. You live in me. I need you to come out of me powerfully. Christ is the essence. In you, that's the experience. He lives in you by his spirit. You have his nature. In the past, I could envision relationship with the father, even though he's spirit. I had a good father. I've read about the father in the scripture. 
I could imagine a relationship with the Father. I could imagine a relationship with Jesus. I read about him. I have other men that have been heroic, and, and I could imagine a relationship with Jesus. I had this difficulty. How do you have a relationship with a spirit? And God began to show me that the Holy Spirit lives right here in us and that I could sense his presence. I could feel his promptings. I could learn to hear his voice. He would communicate with my renewed mind and give me understanding of the scripture and his ways. And I began to learn to have a relationship with the spirit. You can too. Christ in you. And you began to experience the presence of God. Hope of glory. That's the expectation. We're going to see his presence manifested in every place. That's what God wants to do. He's in you. He wants to fellowship and wants you to learn to sense his presence, hear his voice, feel his power, be moved with compassion toward the lost, be filled, filled with faith toward somebody that needs to be healed, sense his authority when somebody needs to be delivered, and to step into that, not in your flesh, but by faith, as the spiritual men and women that you are. You have his authority. Now, I want to draw this to a close. Go to chapter 2, and I want you to look at verses 9 and 10. As the Holy Spirit began to show me this, it was more than I could wrap my understanding around. It was just so much more, and he's still beginning to reveal some things to me. But it changed how I look at situations. Colossians 2, verse 9. Colossians 2, verse 9. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of deity or the Godhead dwells in bodily form. The fullness of the Father and who he was as the Son and the Holy Spirit live in Jesus. And then look at verse 10. And in him, Jesus, you have been made complete, perfect, lacking nothing. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Follow what's happening here. The fullness of the Godhead lives in Christ, and Christ lives in us. This is what God is saying to us. The fullness of who he is as Father, Son, and Spirit live in each one of us. You have the fullness of God living in you. Now, it does not make us a God. It simply means that our God has taken up residence in us. If the fullness of God lives in me and in you, we have everything we need to face every situation that comes our way. My focus is on growing closer and closer in my relationship to God. I'm fellowshipping. I need to hear. I need to know. And as that happens, 
The spirit of God's rising up in me with courage and faith at God's direction to step into some really challenging situations. But let me tell you the truth. The things impossible with us are possible with God. God is proving to me over and over. He is who he says he is. I don't always control the timing, but if I will believe God and step into these situations, I'm watching God do the things only he can do, and he's doing them through us. He's doing them through us. So here's what I hope you take away today. The devil may say that the world is a wreck and it cannot be saved and rescued. And that he is so strong that the gospel and the church is weak. That's a lie. The earth is the Lord's and the people. Many wicked are choosing not to follow the Lord, but he's still Lord. Many are ready to be saved. They have tried the way of the world. It has not worked. And when they hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit works, people are receiving hope. They're saying this is the answer. Not churchianity, not religion, Christianity, and a real relationship with God. The next thing that I hope you take away from this is, is simply, God has made you to become like Jesus. He's the firstborn, the prototype. And he is reproducing after his kind. He wants to rise up and take over in you in this partnership in such a way that where you live and where you pastor, people will say, Jesus has come to our town. Jesus has come to our region and our nation. Because Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus never prayed things that weren't the will of God. He prayed what would be answered. The kingdom of God is coming and his will is being done where you live, through you. I want you to take this away. The fullness of God dwells in Christ. Christ dwells in you. Therefore, the fullness of God dwells in you. And whatever is needed for the challenges that you face, he is there. And he's ready to work and move through you and your people. The end of the book of Revelation says this, that there's a harvest coming. The number is so great that we cannot number them. And they're going to come out of the tribulation. You and I are to have a part of that. We get to be a part of the greatest harvest and the greatest display and move of God that has ever happened in the earth. And the Lord says, it has begun. Now is the time. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the nations and ethnic groups. And then the end shall come. Our focus is not how close we are to the end. Our focus is preaching the gospel to every man, woman, boy, and girl. And when our job is finished, demonstrated with God's power and authority, the end will come and we will all stand together before the Bema, the judgment and reward seat of Christ. 
and he will be giving to each one of you crowns for your faithful service. And he'll look each one of you in the eye, tell you how much he loves you and say to you, well done, good and faithful service. Enter into the fullness of my joy. That's who we are. Let's go be who we are and be a part of these last days, mighty men and mighty women. For Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast. We hope you were encouraged and challenged with today's message. For more from Joshua Nations, visit our website, joshuanations.org.